0: Welcome, everyone, to episode nine of the Abject demi podcast. Um, it's been a bit. We had a couple of weeks off. Uh, we are going to um, have a conversation with a, with a writer and a costume designer. Uh, so is going to talk to us about some of her experiences. Um, like I said, I like to talk to different kinds of artists because I like to learn things that I don't know about their fields. Um, and because you never know who might stumble across one of these and um, learn something out of it. So um, right now, my as usual, my QR code's up there. Um, on the podcast audio version, it'll be in a link in the comments or a link on the show description. If you get anything of value out of here, you're welcome to go uh, check it out. Uh, join all the things, like all the things during the episode. Esmery's website will be up there. Um, I believe she's got links to some other stuff up there too so um you know we like to support the artists that we're talking to as much as we can um so a reminder uh, this is a fairly new podcast none of the conversations will be edited after they are after they happen um my son is calling me right now <laughs> um So anyway, we keep all uh, mistakes and issues and uh, any in keeping with the theme of the episode about learning from our failures and mistakes. Uh, I keep all those episodes up for posterity um, to show how you know much better I've gotten at this as we go along. Um, and with that being said, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and roll the intro, and we'll get started. <laughs> Okay, welcome, Marie. So, Hi. the uh, first thing I like to do is just um, introduce yourself as much or as little as you want, um, and... Um, for multiple artists um, if you want to talk about uh, like for you maybe the costume design talk about you know how that came about how you got into that what inspired you for that um, what happened with that what's going on with that and then where you're at now with writing Um, and then if you have specific experiences that inspired you um, I'd like to hear those first before we get into the we all start at those positive you know yeah. I really love this thing and I want to do this thing. So before we exactly. get into the, you know, the dirt, I like to talk about the, you know, the honeymoon. Sure. So, um, if you know, go ahead.
1: Sure. Um, so yeah, I, uh, was always, um, sort of an artsy fartsy kid. Um, I started doing theater when I was in, I think I was in middle school. Um, and then, you know, I was like, founding member of the drama club in high school and all of that fun stuff and um i did everything acting and you know just like all those things um and then i realized um i think while i was probably still in high school but then maybe like partially during undergrad that i um really preferred being backstage um and i figured out that i Good sew which is a thing that um, most people didn't know how to do uh, and so that just sort of well the other thing <clears throat> that I and I totally didn't think of it in these terms at the time um, I didn't really have the language or understanding for how to like think of this until like five or six years ago um, but I have really, really strong spatial relations skills. So like I grew up in Indiana, we took the I-STEP test in middle school. We took, you know, placement tests to figure out like what kinds of classes we should take. And I scored, you know, off the charts in spatial relations, which basically just means that like, if you give me, you know, a three, a picture of a three-dimensional object and you ask me what the backside looks like, I can tell you what the backside looks like. Like I can take things apart in my head and turn them around and, stuff like that. But the reason that that's important is because um, it got me into drafting classes, which are okay. is something that I never would have done because it wasn't drawing. It wasn't art. It was technical. Yeah. Um, but I ended up through the course of my undergrad degree, deciding, um, you know, to be a costume designer. And one of the things that costume designers have to understand is how clothes are made. And so a large part of my education and when going on and getting my master of fine arts degree in costume design was learning to be a pattern maker, which was drafting. And so like all of the stuff that just I was interested in and could sort of naturally do well, um, sort of it just all played together and meant that I could keep working in theater and doing theater and not necessarily being on stage and acting which is not you know i'm an introvert and
0: yeah
1: (laughs) and i was much much shyer than i'm not as shy now but um i used to be painfully shy and so like the whole idea of being on stage was like it was invigorating but also like completely exhausting and stressful um so yeah i was able to contribute as a costume designer and that was really great um i ended up getting my theater degree in undergrad and then i got my master of fine arts degree in costume design and um i had moved to the east coast um to take a job at the university of delaware Mm -hmm. and i hated it i hated (laughs) which was weird because like i loved dc i liked new york everything was but like there was just something about delaware that i was like i don't like it here And part of it was probably just that I was isolated and like there wasn't a whole lot to do outside of work. And um, my mom's cancer had recurred, and so I decided to move home. And I ended up working for one of the regional theaters here in this area and did that professionally for... See, I think I worked there for like five or six seasons. And then um got downsized um and ended up doing freelance work and that was extremely stressful like um just the first year was fun and exciting because like i had plenty of work i had lots of people you know wanting to work with me everything was great and then like the second year was still fun but not as exciting it was starting to like turn into grueling and then like the third year was just completely awful and I hated it yeah. and I just wanted that security of like having a job again yeah. um which is just something that people in theater don't I like the fact that I had a job nine months out of 12 and I had health insurance and all of that stuff that goes with it like that's yeah. weird in theater like you really you know well if i had belonged to a union it wouldn't have been weird because i could have gotten all that stuff through the union but the regional theater that i worked at wasn't unionized and so yeah. um yeah it's just there wasn't there was a lot of um lack of security mm-hmm. uh and like i said you know i got downsized so it's not even like getting fired or anything like that it's just the end of the season comes and they don't renew a contract And, like, so there's no guarantee going forward. There's no, like, um, if they they decide to end your contract early, they have to abide by labor laws and do HR things and all that stuff. But, like, it's a contract business. So, like, all they have to do is just not renew your contract. And there was just, like, a whole lot of political drama going on with that whole situation. And I was, like, fine, I'd rather you know, just do freelance anyway. And it just, I never, I never got to the point in it where I could just do the work and enjoy life. It was, it was constant. I was working like 78 hours a week, just all the time. And it was not sustainable.
0: And it's hard when it's something you love. yes exactly you start to get burnout on something that you love and
1: yeah yeah
0: it's not it it feels worse i think yes getting burnout on a job that you're doing just for livelihood right out on something you love is terrible it's a terrible yes
1: like i still you you were asking like where am i at with it now i literally i have a hard time just like doing minor alterations on my own clothes minor repairs and altered like i just i can't I am I'm, I'm so burned out and so yep. over it that like, I literally just don't sell for myself anymore. I don't do costume stuff anymore there. You know, I don't dress up for Halloween anymore or anything like that. I just there, it's, it really sucked all of the joy out of it for me. And that yeah, was, that's, that's, that's the that's, hardest part. That's it hard. really is. But the good thing is that, you know, as I transitioned out of that job and yeah, you know, I got a temp job to like make ends meet and all this stuff. And um, one of the things that I had wanted to do this whole time that I had been working in theater, um, as soon as I heard about NaNoWriMo, I wanted to do NaNoWriMo yeah. and I, cause I used to write when I was in high school, I wrote, mm-hmm. you know, a lot when I was in undergrad Um, but I had kind of gotten to the point where like, the only time I ever wrote anything was like poetry. And that was just like (laughs) word vomit, like get the feelings on the page to like process Mm. stuff kinds of things. And so it was like bad poetry and all that stuff. Um, I tried it in college. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: I had to try it in college.
1: Yeah, exactly. Everybody everybody has to write their like emotional vomit poetry that that no one else should ever read. What is <laughs>
0: springtime? I yeah, it's I don't it, have words for that.
1: It's a way to, you know, process the crap. Yeah. Um but yeah, so then one of the the very last show that I did was in October of 2014. And the prop designer was sitting next to me in the theater while we were, you know, waiting for technicians to do something on the stage. And she was like, I just, I don't understand. Like, what are you going to do with all of this like free time that you're going to have? And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to like enjoy life. I don't. And then I was like, I mean, I could play the piano. I could, you know, do read books. I was like, I could write books. I could, yeah. Oh my God, I can do NaNoWriMo this year. and so it was like such a huh it was this like this really huge relief that like something that i had been wanting to do and that this career decision was keeping me from doing i was finally going to get a chance to do that and i failed miserably my first nano (laughs) like i wrote i don't know probably like three thousand words the entire month and the yeah. For those who don't know NaNoWriMo, it's, the point is to write a 50,000-word novel <laughs> in least. the month of November. Yeah. And, um, but I always had a show. I had like, a giant show opening at the beginning of December every year. So there was no way I could ever take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that year I did. Failed miserably. <laughs> but but it got me in the habit of sitting down and trying to write. And so you know, a few weeks into December, I got this like random inspiration and i went home and wrote i think it was like one hundred and fifty thousand words in two weeks or something like that like yeah that was broke wow. <laughs> I, was, I had nothing else to do it was yeah. winter it was cold as hell outside yeah. and so i just like i would go to work and i would do my job and then i'd come home and i would write a whole lot and
0: that that it, is a, a train ride of words right there that's a lot
1: yeah exactly yeah. and so you know it was all garbage but <laughs> but it got, it got, it primed, you know, the pump got flowing yep. and,
0: and yeah. I, so I, I that's. think that that's when, that's where writers discover themselves because sometimes it happens early. Like with me, it happened early when I was a little kid. <laughs> happened really, really early. But I, sometimes it happens different places. I think somebody sits down mm-hmm. and they'll say, I have an idea for a book. I'm going to write a book. They'll sit down, they'll write a book. They'll, and then they'll just go, this is hard and dumb. I don't like it. Or it becomes like something inside of you goes, mm. I could do this all day, yeah, every day in, you know, and it, it becomes just the act of, of doing it and having something to say that feels like it is important, even if it's, only yeah. you. and I think that that that's where that, cause everybody has a book in them. I think everybody
1: has a book in them. Yeah,
0: I think so too. But not everybody has the right, the writer in them.
1: Yeah, but... I think that it takes it takes a lot of discipline, and it also takes a lot of willingness to take feedback and and like understanding that like being able to look back on those you know ridiculous amount of words that I wrote in 2015 and recognize that they're all garbage, yep. and yep. that like there's maybe some story bits that I can take out and use later. Mm-hmm. but like for the most part it was garbage.
0: <laughs> it's a it's a lot of accountability too because you have yeah. to be able to say this is what I'm willing to do and then you mm-hmm. also have to be able to to be able to do that. You have to be able yeah. to look at something and go all of this is all of this is trash or some yeah. of this is trash and yeah. and I actually I know a lot of writers that I talk to that hate the revision process. And I absolutely love the revision process because oh, yeah. You know, if if I finish the story, I got the basic bones of the story. The revision process gives me so much more discovery because I have the big things that I really like, the big things that are the main core parts of the story. But I have all this filler that's just there. And as the more I go through it and through it, the more I those start turning into things. And it's like finding new little stories inside of the big story. And I I love that because it keeps me. I try to look at it less like I just need to rewrite stuff. I rewrite when I do it, I, I take my previous draft Mm. and I move it. And then I do a blank page and I rewrite everything, including the stuff that I'm keeping. Yeah. It takes me forever, but I find new things instead of just copying and pasting stuff that I, I I actually find new things that way. Yeah.
1: Well, one of the, to that point, one of the things that I realized when I was, um, you know, about halfway through this, like, writing journey, um, I had been writing in third person past tense, and Mm -hmm. I came to realize that, like, what I really liked to read was first person present, and so I, like, tried writing in first person present, and, like, I really liked it. And mm-hmm. so like, I had to like convert all of this other stuff. And so it was very much like, it was almost, you know, basically rewriting it from scratch because like it changes everything. It totally changes like the inner inner monologue mm-hmm. because it's the, the characters inner monologue and not in like a narrator and things like that. So yeah, that's hard but, um, too.
0: I, I have many times, mm-hmm. you know, get a few drafts into something and go, I think this would be better. Out of the third person, and then I—it's hard. So I just—it's—it's it's really I, hard, it, and it, <laughs> it is hard to do. And I—I I commend you for that because I hate it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, it definitely is. It's—it's it's not the easiest way to go about things because, like, then like when you have a multi-point of view book, you have to have like very different voices as mm-hmm. the narration and everything. So <clears throat> it's been challenging, but I've learned a lot. But um. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that when I first started writing, it was really hard. Like, one of the things that I liked about it, you know, theater is like the most collaborative art that there is. Mm-hmm. And then writing is the least collaborative art. Yep. Yep. <laughs> in you know, in a lot of ways. Um, and so, like, it, it fi- kind of felt funny that, like, I was like, you know, nope no more people. I don't want... But then, like, as I you know, got into, like, looking into getting crit- critique partners and beta yeah. readers and all that stuff, like, it has become more collaborative, and now I have, um, you know, a, a core group of people that I go to for feedback and stuff, but, like, yeah, at, at first, like, the simple fact that it was something that I could do in my house by myself without talking to anybody, any other humans, I was, like, two thumbs up. Yes, yeah, please. Yeah, I, I,
0: I do it anywhere. I'm, I... When I was a kid, I I had an old typewriter and it made Mm. a bunch of noise and it was a mess. And I hand wrote and I'm very much, um, I try new technologies all the time. Mm. I've been using scriveners probably since 2009, but every now and then I see something shiny and I go try it. But, um, there's a, I was just looking at a, a it's like a collaborative it's called beta, beta reader, something. It's a website that I'm kind of looking into mm-hmm. where you can actually put your work there and then you can invite beta readers in and they can do inline comments. And oh. instead of having to pass like documents around and do yeah. reading and because different people have different things and
1: yeah.
0: Um, or and like critique
1: circle and scribe a file where you have to have karma or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm trying to, I'm trying to look as so I haven't, I haven't, I used to do beta reads a lot, um, mm. but I've been working on this, this novel for almost eight years now. So I haven't mm. had, I haven't had anything because I, I used to mostly write short stories, but this is my, this is my fifth novel. Mm. And um, there's been like three novellas. I think it's been a long time, but I've been working on this for like eight years and I've kept it like really close. And, mm um so it's been a long time like none of my beta readers i haven't talked to in years because they they were friends and it's nice to be able to have a way to say because you get kind of paranoid you know i've actually i've had things from when i used to do beta readers in the facebook group and i've had i've had writing show up on reddit before yeah Um, yeah it, it sucks and yeah. um, I had, you know, you, you report it and you have to prove that you had it first. And yeah, but, so you get paranoid. It's nice to have the technology to be able to say, here are people who aren't biased to me because they're my friends and family, right. but are also in this because they actually want to be a part of this. So
1: Yeah, one of the best things that well, so I, I found scribe a file and critique circle first. So those were really great for like getting some more objective feedback people who weren't my personal friends and family and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but then I found the Uber group, which is, um, they focus a lot more on developmental editing. And yeah. so like, it's been really great. Cause like, a there's accountability there because like if somebody steals somebody else's work, they're out of the group and you know, yeah. then everybody can vouch for one another and, and things like that. So it's now the uh,
0: AI's stealing our stuff. So
1: yeah, oh god, don't even get me started on that.
0: <laughs> you, you're you're a sci-fi writer, right? I, yes. I follow, I follow yes. uh, Neil Clark that publishes Clark's World magazine. Oh yeah, yeah. On a lot of stuff, he he keeps having to shut his submissions down because he's getting hundreds yeah. and hundreds of AI submissions like a week.
1: Yeah, I saw that, and it's, it's so sad because yeah. like, you know, I I like how do you fix that? How do you stop it from happening? And yeah. You know, because clearly our little I'm not a robot thing doesn't work anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Capture codes make it harder for us than they do anything else.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Okay. So um, one thing you did mention is you were talking about um, theater anxiety before Mm -hmm. you started moving backstage. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a, a major anxiety disorder. And my, like, this is, I had two weeks off because this became a lot and, uh, but it's also like helped me like this Mm -hmm. is my, oh my gosh, this is actually helping me communicate better. But, Mm -hmm. um, I could have never, I didn't start learning how to deal with my anxiety till I was an adult, but I've had it since I was a small child. Right. Yeah. My, my daughter inherited it and, um, she, she's going to high school next year but she's going into advanced theater because she's already done theater previously in middle Mm -hmm. school and her older brother's graduating high school with theater chops and having been in stage plays and stuff and she she's already like learned how to you know deal with things at an early age in a way that I never could have hoped to so right yeah I, I see that like theater is something that I couldn't have ever done and but I, I can see how I, – I did theater one time. I told her once when I was in ninth grade, I went to my first day of theater class. They asked me to stand up in front of the class and, you know, say something on a paper. And I, I noped. I was like, I can't do that. I'm done. I'm leaving. I hated that. it. And I think that it's like – when we were talking about you sit down and you start writing and it's either not your thing or it becomes something you love. Mm-hmm. And I think she just went the other way with that. And it, it made an enormous, um, impact on how she's able to handle things. She's much more outgoing than I ever would have been. And
1: I, I do think that like, like I said, I was a really shy kid. And so like you would think that I wouldn't be able to get up on stage and do things, but like, there was something about performing. Cause I sang and I played piano and like, mm-hmm. I'm one of, I was one of those kids that like, if you gave me an instrument for five minutes, I can figure out how to play happy birthday on it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, like I have always been, you know, just very musical. And so like performance, there was something about doing that that wasn't the same as just like trying to talk to other people. Cause like, if it was just me trying to talk, oh, forget that like I would like completely panic and you know get all shy but it's not my words it's not my music it's it's just it's something that I can do it's like being able to do a trick and so you know it was a good way to get it was a way to get positive attention which was something that I lacked in my life you know just like normally um so yeah and it's all outlets. It's all, you yeah, it just, yeah.
0: I, I think like I've tried to, you know, some of us, we try other things. We, you know, mm-hmm. I can do this, then I can do that. And I can do mm-hmm. that. And, um, most of the people that I talk to have multiple things. And mm-hmm. that, that's something I'm discovering because I'm not, I, I've, I've been writing since I was a kid. I've always been a writer. I have no musical talent. I have, I, I've tried painting, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've, tried all these things and it comes down to I thought that was the normal thing that you know I was finding people that did a couple things that they mm. loved and were good at and I'm like you know this is the rarity but I'm finding that actually that's not the case um one of I talked to a a guy who owns a uh, coffee roaster and mm-hmm. they do, um, they do a, bunch. he's got like so many different things that we listed on his thing. The episode title is huge. Um, he's a distiller and a, you know, musician and all kinds of stuff. And when I'm talking to him, one of the things I like to ask, which we're going to get to in a minute is mm-hmm. if you had, um, if you had no, like no worry about money or time mm-hmm. or anything, what's the one thing you would do? And he said, none of those things. He said he would bake bread. And I was like, that wasn't even anything that we talked about. And it, <laughs> it, it just, it floors me that, um, well, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, mm. cause it, I kind of have this, I try to steer this through different, uh, mm. different topics and stuff. So it's, yeah. um, I hadn't made, no, oh, Nan Rhymo, um, Ooh. I haven't done it in years, uh, because I, am usually, I usually take it off. I make that my off month. So I don't do, cause I'm, you know, with full-time job and then I'm writing on the off time and then kids, you know, there's just so much going on that, um, I take November to, you know, duck out and take a break. And, but back in the old days when I used to do it, um, in the myspace days i remember doing nanrimo because my myspace had custom code in it to put the nanrimo badge on there yeah and that was a long time ago but i remember um when i when i first started not pushing myself for that time of the year i would actually i actually like talking to other people who are doing it and coaching and you know you know seeing people's progress and saying keep going keep going because i think I think everybody gets sucked into the. I have a month to do this thing that I think it helps to have some cheerleaders for stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so I still try to get out there on social media every year, and you know, just kind of support people that are working at it because everybody's ducked down trying to run through it real quick that they forget that other things exist. Like need yeah. support, yeah, yeah. So yeah. and it, it is hard, and
1: yeah, I have I, yet I, to to be successful at one because like i always it just like you know i have competing priorities and mm -hmm. and half the time by the time i get to naNoWriMo by by the time i get to november i'm doing revisions on something i'm not drafting so like my my schedule just doesn't match up with it
0: no and i don't like the i don't like the pressure i'm Mm -hmm. the more the more i feel like i have to rush the more um I think I, I suffer for it because I don't like, um, I don't like the stress of yeah. feeling like, I don't know, it doesn't feel like a deadline to me, like deadlines I can handle, but it, it feels like.
1: It feels like an arbitrary race.
0: It, it does. It does. Yeah. And I, I recently, um, you know, we have this new Substack Explosion everybody's going to a sub stack and they're looking yeah. for fiction writers because everybody's doing journalism. And it's happened to me three times. It happened to me with, uh, WordPress when it was new. Oh, I can subvert the system that I, you know, tr- when a traditional publish is my dream. So, but WordPress subverts all those systems that are in my way. So I'm going to do that. And then, you know, it becomes, this isn't really what I want. It happened again with, when the self publishing boom and
1: yeah
0: you know, eBooks and then, um, I made it, I have a, this is hosted, the podcast version of this is hosted on Substack because they have a podcast hosting thing. Mm. So I ended up making a Substack for, you know, what's to come. I'm just going to start putting stuff here, but then I'm I'm ignoring the fact that I'm going to need editing, professional editing. I'm ignoring the fact that, you know, this, it, I'm asking people to pay a subscription fee for being beta readers. And it, I was also like giving these expectations based on my excitement and mm. I was giving myself an arbitrary expectation. And I finally just said, I can't, I'm not doing this. I, I still have a goal because yeah. you get, you work on something for so long. You want it, yes. you want it to be seen and you want it to be out there and there's a lot yeah. of things in the way. And sometimes you just, you, you, you just want to find, find an easier route. Yeah. The right route
1: well and i kind of have the opposite issue in that like i really don't want to self-publish because like i've met me and i know how i am and i don't want to do all that marketing and all that stuff and i don't want to take the risk on all of myself yeah. um and i'm really glad that i didn't you know like back in like 2019 when i first started querying that manuscript people were like oh you should just self-publish this why why are you doing it first of all if I had self-published, then I would have like it would have been this like bloated piece of crap that nobody would have wanted to read because it was too long. There was like the story structure was all like I've been you know I just shelved it because I'm still looking at it, going, you know what I like now knowing what I know, what is it four years later, have like all the stuff that I've learned in the last four years. It's like every time I would sit, I would start to query it. I would learn something else that made me go, Oh no, it needs another revision because Mm -hmm. I need to implement X, Y, Z thing that I just learned. And so finally, like this time, I'm just like, you know what? I have an idea for another story that I'm really excited about. I need to just go ahead and write that story. And I'm just gonna, like, I've kind of made notes about like what I think would fix this book, but it's one of those things where if I get an agent, call and they're like what else do you have i can be like i have all these manuscripts that i've sort of worked on that they just need to be like fixed and
0: let me show you my (laughs) trunk full of stories
1: exactly here's my trunk full of goodies that you know are not great right now Mm -hmm. but like because like i basically used that manuscript to learn how to write Mm -hmm. but like at every step along the way somebody was like you should just self-publish it you should just self-publish it and i'm like no, because I want to know that what I'm putting out is good enough that, like, mm-hmm. even if, you know, even if I get to the point where, like, I got an agent and it went out on sub and died, at least it's something that somebody believed in enough mm-hmm. that they were willing to take it to a publisher and say, I think this is good, you know, yeah. like, it that because I, especially coming off of the, the career change, the getting burned out because like mm-hmm. burnout is, is failure. Like it, it feels the same as failing. <laughs> and, and um. so coming off of that, I, you know, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could show anyone my writing and be like, mm-hmm. you know, is this, is this even something that I should try to keep doing? And if it hadn't been for the people who, said yes back then i wouldn't be doing it now yeah so
0: yeah there's a there's a i think a lot of people don't understand that the 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 act of writing is only a small part of the the science mm. i mean it, it is a very mechanical yes process to to know that it's not just <laughs> you can't just fill a thing with a bunch of things there, there Mm. are rules and there are ways that you can and can't do things. And it it takes a lot of work and a lot of understanding of, you know, voice and process. And, and I think, I think that's where a lot of people go, well, that's dumb. I'm just going to, you know, and and that's, it, it, it takes away from your, you, one of the things that I like to talk about on here is imposter syndrome because I, mm. I get it really bad. Mm. And I think that one of the things that we're told a lot when you're learning how to become a writer or trying to step into it is um, fake it till you make it and you have to believe in what you're working on. And I think that there, there needs to be a little bit more gray area in there because mm. the fake it till you make it is you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment yeah. If you can't admit that you're not there yet. And you you do have to believe in your work. Yeah. But you also have to be able to know when it's not working. And
1: yeah well and you also have to know the rules so like you know one of the things that i get pushed back on a lot is like well you know like the people end up breaking the rules and blah 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 but i'm like yeah but they know what the rules are and they mm-hmm. understand why they're there and then they're making an intentional choice to break
0: a rule to subvert them yeah
1: yeah but which is entirely different than not knowing that there is a rule yes correct
0: <laughs> yes I agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) There, when I am there, there's something on my uh, um, website, my landing page on my website that what you were talking about reminded me of there was one day I was waiting to um, waiting for dinner to arrive. And uh, I wrote uh, like the start, the stages of learning to write. Mm -hmm. and it's basically it goes from i wrote a thing it's the best story ever i bet i can sell it to like wait what what Mm -hmm. what is all of this like the the, like number five is this is dumb rules are dumb writing is dumb whose stupid idea was this anyway and then you know it's just like all these different phases that we go through as we're like learning how to write And and then finally you're like okay fine i understand the rules I'm breaking them for a reason. (laughs) Like, you know, it's, you can't stop me. (laughs) When
0: when I was younger, I, I talked to people about it, you know? Yeah. And I think as I've gotten older, I, I don't really talk to like close friends, except for a handful, a few about it because it, it always devolves into a, um, I've been doing this since I was 11. Mm. And, it, I can run into somebody that I haven't seen in years, or I can talk to somebody that I haven't talked to in years, and there's always that you still working on that writing thing, you know, like it has never been a hobby for me, yeah. But yeah. without work product, you know, without being able to point, you know, at a shelf or at a work that somebody can obtain, it's hard to convince people that, um. You have to divide failure and success yourself Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: especially people that are not invested in a a creative art of any kind for themselves or writing for that matter. um, It's hard. It's hard to explain to them that. Most of the time that you're failing at it, especially writing, because you spend so much time, you spend as much time on a thing as it needs. Yeah. And that means that. Most of your time growing and learning and writing is spent failing mm-hmm. that's spent being told no for a long time in order to learn how to get to the yes. Yes. And I think that a lot of, a lot of people don't see that. They just see that. Well, why are you still doing this? If you know, cause I, when I turned 40, that was the first year that I'd been alive more years than I had rejections in my name. And that was exciting, but also depressing. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, why are you still doing this? And yeah, it's because I'm going to do it until I get the yes. Otherwise, mm-hmm. what have I? What am I? If yeah, I what have I funny.
1: been spending all this time honing this for? It, and and I will say one of the things that I'm really glad about the supplementary mentor program. That was one of the things that I got out of it was that like, I am good enough. I am, mm-hmm. I am a good writer. I am, you know, I just have to keep, you know, I'm the, my mentor was like, you're about to level up. Like I can sense from like what you've told me and where you're at with everything and the quality of your writing, you're about to level up. And mm-hmm. like, if she hadn't been able to say that to me, I don't think I would still be doing it because yep. it's exhausting. It's exhausting yeah. to, you know, rewrite the same novel over and over again. Yeah.
0: I'm on on my fifth draft of Mm a hundred and what's, it was 160,000 words. It's 120 now. I'm trying to trim it down, but yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, I don't think that that is not an understood concept from a lot of people on the outside. Mm. Like the amount of time you spend making something this big and then having to whittle it down to half the size into something that you're still proud of. Like you, you can get halfway through that process and quit. Like I've quit, mm-hmm. i quit on novels because I've had to move on. I've had to, yeah. I've had to be able to say, well, the three years I've spent on this are, haven't been spent well enough to make this worthy. So I have to move on to something else. And
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's yeah. It, to me, it it's, it sucks like depression or not depression i mean depression comes with rejection but rejection is like extremely hard to explain to somebody who hasn't had somebody say no to something that you've written like it is one of the worst demoralizing feelings and i think that after your first one if if you keep going, you might, you're going to stop for a while or whatever. But I think that when, when you get an answer like that, um, the first, the first real answer I ever got to rejection letter was, a uh, Asimov's rejection. Yeah. letter, And it hurt because I went, I went top tier first, first submission, top tier, you know, years and years ago. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And, and then it, it was, it, it, it hurt. It was like, yeah, I, it, I knew it,
1: my dream. And, Well, and that's just so and like the fact that like there's no real like actionable feedback in those rejections. That's Mm -mm. the thing that really makes it difficult because like and and I I mean, I hate to be like this, but like the stuff that I did in theater when I was a costume designer, like I was really good at all that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I was really good at it and I was really good at it sort of naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't something that I had to work really hard to learn or to like, like figure out how to do it. I just, I had an affinity for it. And so like, I I picked up things really quickly and I ran with it. Writing is not like that. Writing Mm -hmm. is like, you know, I was like holed up in my own little like world for a really long time doing this. And then I finally started going, you know I'm really fortunate in that I have friends who are professional writers. So I had people that I could go to and say, please look at this and tell me whether or not it's worth continuing, keeping going. Yeah. And I was fortunate, you know, like they gave me good feedback um, and encouragement and all that stuff. But like, I did not know how very much I did not know at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. It, and, it extremely mechanical.
1: And it's, it, it's been brutal. It's been brutal to learn all of that. And I've experienced more rejection in the last four years learning to do this than like all the years previously, like in the costume career, just because it's, it it is, it's not the thing that I was just naturally able to do.
0: Um, The difference in feedback is, I think, a big deal because... For a lot of people, because you're you're when you're doing something with like theater or music or something, you as you're doing it, you're getting feedback. You're Uh getting somebody's telling you, well, not this way, do it this way, do it this way. But Mm -hmm. when you're writing you, the long stretch, the majority of the work is done without feedback. Yep. So the when you get to that point for feedback, it's either do I want to continue doing this and start over or, you Mm -hmm. know take the, all these steps back, or do I just want to try something else? And I think yeah. that the difference between the active feedback and the, you know, after the fact feedback make, make a huge difference in, in how you learn that. And you, it, it is, it is extremely intricate and you don't, you don't start learning that until you have people that say, I really like, cause you know, a lot of people, I like this, this is a really cool story. I want yeah. to know more about this, but you don't, until you get around to like, you know, motivations and all of the very small, minute details of what's expected. And what's-
1: People who start talking to you about story structure and beats Mm -hmm. and hitting the midpoints, and the client, you know, like the timing of everything. Mm -hmm. And like that to me was really enlightening when I started working with the Uber group, when we, like I learned about developmental editing that changed everything and one of the things that you know it's interesting that you say that about like working on your own so long one of the best things that i've learned in the last like year or so was that is the idea of i'm a pantser so like i don't plot things out as i go i Mm -hmm. like i like to just like free write
0: i do i do an outline like about yeah. After my my third or fourth draft, I reverse outline. Right. So yeah. Well,
1: one of, so I decided to do futurescapes this year and or you know, this 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 month, and I didn't want to rehash that same story that I've been rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And I had this other idea, so I I had to write ten thousand words for it, and I had to have a synopsis and a query, and so I wrote like half of the ten thousand words, and then I wrote like. What I thought the synopsis would be, and then I kept going back and forth between them as I finished the ten thousand words, and you know, took them to my critique partners and helped, you know, had them like give me feedback on what worked and what didn't. And it was, it's, an, it's such an amazingly different experience doing it that way because they're fixed, you know, they're helping me spot mm-hmm. and fix things that I might not have realized until I had you know, a hundred thousand words written. And had written myself into a corner in some way mm-hmm. that I hadn't spotted. So, um, yeah, le- you know, just the fact that like having had that experience of doing it the hard way, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then and then you know having this yeah. experience now of of having this tool that like I can use to sort of test drive endpoints that I want to work toward. I'm definitely going to change it. I mean, like the synopsis is just a, it's just guideposts, yeah. but it's, it's really interesting how like the combination of feeling like a failure because I'm shelving this one book combined with like this positive experience of working in a new and different way mm-hmm. that led me to more success I think whereas leading me toward more success like you have to have both the failure and the success to make like the full connection I think
0: yeah and it's it's one of those things like I always cringe when you know you'll see people asking writers that you know writers that I follow where do you get your ideas from and it's always been for me like I get them from sitting down and thinking really hard about something because it, I've never just had something come to me. Like I take a, I, I write a lot about neurodivergency Mm -hmm. um, and I, I take things that I know. And then I, I, I don't, I have to come up with a concept with an idea and it's, it's a lot of work. Like, it's not like I've ever been sitting there going, Oh, I I have this idea for this thing. I'm going to write it and then be done with it. And yeah, because logic in writing doesn't work that way. You have to have logic. You have to have rules, and yeah. And I think the rewrite process and the the I like closing those those logic holes. A lot of people get really have a really hard time. I don't want to change this because I like the way it works, but it doesn't
1: work. Right, right.
0: I I really enjoy finding ways to close those holes and ways to fix those things and. And to me, the, the, the idea part is the hard part. And Mm -hmm. my first draft is always like 10,000 word concept draft start to finish. This is the story I want to tell. And then what are all the pieces and who are all the people? And it's a lot of work. And, um, I, I can barely, you know, I struggle with that in third person. So again, I'm still, I'm still in, (laughs) <laughs> it it visibly makes me like cringe thinking about trying to like, cause I've tried it. Uh, um, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's hard. And I think it's because I, I don't, I don't know what I'm thinking at any given moment. And I think you have to be able to think about how you feel in a moment of everything. And I,
1: it's yeah I, terrifying I, to me. <laughs> but I, I, I like it because it's, it feels more like I'm in it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that I've, some of the feedback that I've gotten from beta readers is that they didn't like being in it that much. And like, they like the distance of being a yeah. third person. And I'm like, well, then, <laughs> but, you know, and I started to like kind of question myself of like, am I imagining things that like first person present is a thing now? And like, and I realized that like the books that I've enjoyed the most lately have been written in first person present and that's it's making it's making a comeback. Yeah. That's probably why my brain has been like, ooh, first person present, that's juicy.
0: (laughs) Popular fiction has like pushed away on it, pushed against it for so long that people got in the habit of not doing it. And Mm. there's been, you know, self publishing and indie, especially I think with indie publishers are always looking Mm. for something new. And I think you have this boom of people trying it again and people reading it and going, this is, this is a much different experience. Like I, I like reading it, but yeah. at the same time, I find myself pushing, pushing off of it a lot. Um, there's, a, I don't know if you know, who Susanna Clark is, she wrote, um, Jonathan sorry, strange, uh, Susanna Clark. She wrote, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jonathan strange and Mr. Norrell, mm-hmm. her, her second book, Piranesi was one of my favorite books of like the last five years and it it's it's first person and it it was really really it's the first time that i've i've read a first person book where i didn't want to escape it because it gave me anxiety and yeah it every time i read it i'm like i want to try this and then i try it and i'm like no they're, i'm gonna let i'm gonna let y'all do that i'm gonna let, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah some people like see some people like the distance <clears throat> it was funny though cuz i was uh did a critique i did a critique of somebody else's writing the other day and they were writing sort of like more in a fairy tale style that was very distant like there was a mm-hmm. whole lot of distance between the reader and the action and mm-hmm. And and that like made me crazy because I was like, no, I want to be there. I want to be yeah. in it. <laughs> Get me closer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, to me it feels like I have less control too because mm-hmm. I I think when you when you change the the perspective like that, it becomes mm-hmm. a third person gives you a lot of omnipotency over everything or limited omnipotency over everything, and you can kind of you can move around a bit more and you can fill in more space. And I, I have a hard time with the, this person only knows this much at this given time and I can't explain any of the things that I want to explain.
1: Yeah. I, I have had to like rethink whose point of view I was telling a, a piece of information from, because like I was, I started to write something a chapter one time and I was like, wait, if I write it from this person's perspective, Like they're they already know all the things. They're just gonna be like, well, this is you know, it's gonna just tell too much information. So I had to change it to a different character's point of view, because like somebody who didn't know what was going on. So there was some mystery would remain. Yeah.
0: Most most of my rewrites are cleaning up info dumps, and my mask just fell. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) My dog's freaking out too. It's okay. It's okay. It fell right on you, huh? It's a face. You're okay. (laughs) Um, yeah my
1: dog is actually asleep right now so yeah
0: she she was usually she's squeaking her toys when i'm talking to people so (laughs) Um, it's okay you go under the desk um yeah so um i guess that okay let me look at my okay so uh, i like to talk about success versus dreams um some people have the same they they view the dream as in the the most the best possible outcome for you as a writer mm. versus what you would define as success as a writer and some people actually those two things are the same and like i i see the dream as a writer as um you know the what you think what everybody thinks of as successful writers you know tv and you know yeah selling copies and, you know, never having to worry again, you could write one book and live for the rest of your life off of it. But success to me is more comfortable because that, that idea scares me. So the dream is that, but I think because that's what I've been taught, um, success Mm -hmm. to me is, you know, being able to write for a living and not have to do other things. You know, if I could take my nine to five schedule, and instead of doing somebody else's work all day, I can nine to five do my work mm-hmm. and get and make a living off of it. I would take, you know, just 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 to not have to harm a family ecosystem by staying at home every day and yeah. writing. And to me that success I I it it seems to vary between people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that as artists we're so entrenched in our own idea of what we're looking for what we want that we don't often see what other people want so i like to get other people's idea what they define as the dream and the success and if they're the same or how are they different
1: if not yeah so for me like the dream would be neil gaiman i mean like being able to like go and produce and do all the things and be the showrunner Cause like I'm a control freak on top yeah. of everything else. And, and I actually have a costume in you know, theater background. So
0: yeah,
1: I actually kind of know what I'm talking about when it comes to like things in, in a way that a lot of writers don't, if they, yeah. if like I did get something optioned, like I actually know what I'm talking about on the technical side. So like, um, to me, that would be a great, like, that would actually get me back into it in a, in a way that, um, that my current life just doesn't allow for um but like
0: neil gaiman is pinnacle i think i mean
1: he, i mean who doesn't want to be guilt neil gaiman right
0: <laughs> I, i'm in i'm in texas and he's got seven books on the banned book list in school districts here and that was yep. an achievement as far as i'm yes exactly
1: so. that i i'm again
0: (laughs) like american gods is like one of my number one books of all time so well
1: i i was i'm a huge huge terry pratchett fan yes and so like i actually got into (laughs) neil gaiman through terry pratchett good omens and so like the whole good omens thing like the oh man i just love what they've done with that and and if i could like create the worlds that are inside my head like that way that obviously would be amazing and yeah. like it would give me an opportunity to travel and go and do and and experience things that I haven't gotten to experience and all that stuff and have the financial ability to do that without like stressing about it he,
0: um one of the things I like about Gaiman is he's really good at saying a lot without a lot Mm-hmm. except that when he needs to he's really good at finding a balance between yeah know, sometimes expo- exposition is necessary and yes uh, he is really really good at I don't balancing that like yeah. a lot of times he'll 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 say very little but get a lot across and yeah it, it's it a was, hard thing to learn
1: it's funny though because like i'm i'm much more of a fan of um like british style writing that's mm-hmm. more Complex and flowery, yep. whereas he's actually more American in the way that he writes and like mm-hmm. the short sentences and more concise. So it's it's a really interesting combo. But yeah. uh,
0: one of my first... oh sorry oh. I, I was just gonna... say... oh, sorry one of my <laughs> one of my criticisms that I get a lot is I'm I'm actually uh, when in college I studied classic literature and mythology and oral storytelling uh, pre written yeah. language and so I. I prefer, you know, the more complex ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. But when you write genre fiction, this isn't this isn't this isn't how you write in genre fiction. It drives me crazy because um, I just I read uh, Rebecca uh, Mm. a while back. And it is just what that it's not even about the story for most of that Mm. book. It's just about how crazy these this sentence structure yeah how beautiful these words are and that's that's great to me like shirley jackson is one of my favorite all-time writers and but in there you know they have that you can't you can't do
1: that yeah they had that that luxury (laughs) well and like one of my friend one of my friends is is a professional writer and when i gave her my things my first thing to look at way back like one of the things she did was highlight a bunch of my long sentences. She was like, there are 50 words in this sentence. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Um, I had a professor
0: with a purple highlighter that would highlight purple language in the purple highlighter. You you don't need all these words to say that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Every now and then I see, I still sneak in a long one, but like I do try to simplify now. Um, But as far as success goes, um i mean if i could sell enough if i could make enough money to pay off my student loans Mm -hmm. and my mortgage yeah me too (laughs) i would be ecstatic just because like i wouldn't have to work as hard or as long to Mm -hmm. like have the same things that i have now and i it would free up a lot of mental energy um which i i have to say is one of like the the big things about like burnout was that like I was spending so much mental energy just trying to figure out how to survive Mm -hmm. and like pay my bills and all that stuff. that like, I didn't have any creativity left over. The stuff that I was putting on stage was not great art. It was getting stuff done and making people not be naked on stage. (laughs) Or not
0: getting yelled at or. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, yeah. So.
0: Yeah. It, it, One of the things that always strikes me is I always think of, you know, if I could get this finished and, you know, get querying and, you know, then I could, you know, make a living. If I could make a living, that's always where I go Mm -hmm. while I'm working. But the one thing that I always notice is every time I walk in a bookstore, the only thing I can think about is how great it would be to just see my name on something on a shelf. It doesn't have to be oh, out yeah. front. Just just seeing that it's there and knowing that it's there. Yes. I think to me that is comfort that's comforting. That would make mm-hmm. me happy. And yeah. I I I feel like we get I get caught up in the I'm writing right now, this is my goal, this is what I want. But really to me that would be, I would consider that a success. If I could go through, you know, traditional publishing process, make it mm-hmm. all the way through all those hurdles and hoops, and then have that we, as an outcome. Yeah,
1: yeah, go great. to the local bookstore and see my book on a shelf. That yep. would That'd be that would I, I can guarantee I would cry.
0: I, I, would, <laughs> I definitely absolutely would.
1: Yep. guaranteed tears. <laughs>
0: yep. Um, so imposter syndrome yes this this is more a uh, conversation i have for me um, i like to find out how other people deal with it because i i get it and i mm-hmm. just write it out till it's done until the itch to write <sighs> overwhelms me um, i don't i don't have an out for that i and I, it especially starts affecting me the closer i get the more positive i feel about what i'm working on and the closer mm. i get to finishing it Or, like, say I I get, you know, a few drafts in through a certain part of this thing, and I'm feeling like I might have the thing that I Hmm. want it to be, then it it starts creeping up on me. You know, to me, my imposter syndrome is self-sabotaging. Yeah. So, I I, I don't know. I... Not everybody gets it, either.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that... I think that I don't have imposter syndrome as much as I, I have moments where it just feels like, it's not that my writing isn't good or that it's not good enough. It's that the publishing industry is so fucked up Mm. that like it may be more trouble than it's worth. Uh, yeah. Like I, I have that thought more than I have, like I'm not good enough. Yeah, that um,
0: that gets me too because you know that's when the the Substacks and the WordPress and yeah self publishing creep up on me is because I I'm getting older and I don't want to spend the time on
1: right these well obstacles and but that's also sort of what I keep telling myself is that like if I get this manuscript to the point where I can query it and I don't get any hits. If I don't get any bites, nothing happens with it, I can always self publish it. Mm-hmm. And like, I like that's the same with all of the other manuscripts that I have, if I ever get them to a point where I feel proud of them, and I feel like they're good enough, mm-hmm. which I don't yet on yeah. the, the ones that I'm shelving. Yeah. If I got that to the point where I thought it was good enough. I would just self-publish it if I couldn't get an agent in traditional publishing just to like get it out there. In fact, um, my brother actually is a writer too. He's been writing much more and much longer than I have, but he had some issues with one of, I think it was his second wife um, was really jealous of, of the time that he spent on stuff like that and Mm -hmm. kind of made him feel like he wasn't good enough. And I, I, I told him, you know, I gave him a self-publishing book for Christmas because I was like, I want you to, like, get your words out there. Like, you spend a lot of time and energy on them and, you know, maybe querying and all of that stuff is too much for you. But, like, you could at least put your words out there yeah. Um, because it is a perfectly valid path. It's just not the path that I want to go down because of all the risk involved. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I usually disclaimer that but I, I didn't this time usually when yeah. I start talking about self-publishing because I don't I don't want to, people to think that I'm yeah
1: I mean them. there are just some there are some genres that traditional publishing just doesn't even touch mm-hmm. and or you know they just barely touch it or you know there's just very little chance that you're actually going to get in through that door yeah. Um, so yeah I think it's a perfectly valid thing but the stuff that I write traditional publishing handles and you know, I would much rather have a five thousand, even if like a five thousand dollars advance would be mm-hmm. more than I would think I would probably end up earning from self-publishing a book. Yep. Just because I don't want to have to do all the freaking marketing and yeah, stuff yeah. that goes with it. <laughs> so, that to me would be success in in some ways. It's just you know, getting it out there. Um, if all else fails, you know. Yeah.
0: So still still, you would consider that successful if, if yeah. people are, to me, I think that you can have a story done, mm. but it's not a story until somebody experiences it. Yeah. Like, to me, and I think that I have a bunch of stuff that sits there. Like, I have a trunk full of stories, and mm. I, every now and then I go back and, you know, start planning them into, you know, a novella, into a novel, or, re, you know, rewriting yeah. stuff. and. Um, it sucks to have so much stuff behind you but the stuff that's behind you helps you with the stuff in front of you we
1: learn from Yeah, those, I, I wouldn't be things. able to do what I do now if I hadn't gone through all that learning experience mm-hmm. it's like people who who get jealous of old boyfriends and girlfriends and I just like that doesn't make any sense to me because mm-hmm. like if it wasn't for those people the person that you're dating wouldn't be the person that they are so like yep. thank them yep.
0: <laughs> yeah people people learned they learned from previous experience what they do and do not want as a as a writer as a reader as a partner yep yep um so uh i i had this question initially this this question i usually was asking um what is it that you wish people had talked more about when you were trying to get into this, but it kind of morphed into a less, I guess, cliche question. So as, as artists, we get, we get a lot of unwarranted feedback. We get a lot of people who are always trying to tell you what you should do with your thing. And um, so I kind of came up with this different way of asking this question. So, if, if you had to risk coming off as an asshole to somebody to give them unwarranted—you know—they don't want advice. Mm. Um, so, if, if, what is some unwarranted advice that you would give to somebody who is earlier on in their journey? that you would risk coming off as an asshole to give to them whether they wanted it or not.
1: Um, <laughs> your writing probably isn't as good as you think it is.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's your story, my, your that's story too, probably yeah.
1: isn't as good as you think it is. Yeah. Um, honestly, I mean, that's, that's half of the feedback that I do give. <laughs> it's still yeah. in like, critiques is, you know, like, I I think that the most, the biggest disservice you can do to someone who's learning to write is only give them praise. Um, I think you have to give praise because, like, it's absolutely necessary to build people up and say, Mm -hmm. you are doing X, Y, and Z really, really well. Good job. Like, you could even that could stand some improvement in, you know, whatever areas. But considering where everything else is at, these things that you're doing are great. Mm-hmm. but in these areas you could stand a dist- certain, like there was, um <laughs> there was a manuscript that I, I, I kind of have a rule at this point when I'm beta reading, if I find myself making inline comments, I stop at 50 pages in mm-hmm. and I do a beta, uh, I do a, an edit letter based on that first 50 pages because no, no agent is going to give you more than 50 pages no. to impress them. No. And so if I'm getting caught up in doing inline comments and I'm not in the story enough to like, just respond to the story on a story level instead of a line level, mm-hmm. then it's not, it's not there yet. No. And, and that,
0: that's what stories need. They need other eyes yeah. to be able to get, say, honestly, yeah. This isn't ready because you don't, you don't want to put it out there when it's not ready because that's yeah. what happens that you're yeah. not, you're not pulling somebody in with that 50 pages. Yeah. yeah.
1: And yeah. I, and I think that, I mean, I do try not to be a complete bitch about it when I say yeah. it, but like, uh, I'm just honest. And I say, look, I'm, I, when I'm doing inline comments like this, that means it's not ready. And I I stop at 50 pages if you want to send me a synopsis i can help you look at the storyline like the full arc and everything I, you know offer that assistance from like <laughs> you know the high level <laughs> without reading all hundred thousand words because <laughs> that's it it's like a lot of, most of the time these are not sixty thousand word stories these are hundred thousand word stories and yeah and you know um because i you know we write genre and um yeah. So I think, I think it's kind of funny because, um, you know, you're, you couch that question as like, if you had the you know ability to I'm like, Oh dude, I already do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm um, what I've, what I've come to realize about myself is that like, I'm one of like, it, it feels like maybe like one in 20 people is actually capable of being confrontational and saying things that like, you know, other people would say, mm-hmm. and apparently I have that gene.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honest, honest critiques and are, are the best, the best medicine. And and I think that that's another one of those points where somebody finds out if they're a writer or not, because yeah. if some, if, if you get through it, it only takes like two or three people to look mm-hmm. at a thing and say, this isn't ready. It's not done. Like you think it is. Yes. it, it That's a moment where they can either decide, I really believe in this and I want to make it better. Yeah. Versus I'm I don't I'm not going to do this anymore. This is this yeah. is too much. And yeah. I think that what a lot of people don't understand is that you can have any story is fixable. Any story is sellable. It, you just have to be willing to take the time and the revision to mm-hmm. make it what it needs to be. And I think a, a lot of people drop the ball there because it doesn't mean that your story's bad. It just means that it needs to be told better. Right. And right. and that, that, that took me a long time to learn. Like I told this story before on one of my earlier episodes that when I was 12 or 13, um, I typed up a script for an X-Files episode and I mailed it to some address for some Fox studio um, in a, in a puffy envelope and i always wondered, you know, what happened to that. but you know, cuz that that's what i thought, that's what i thought you did and mm-hmm. um it it took um a middle school english lit class mm-hmm. to give a writing prompt for me to write and then somebody to say hand me it back with all this red ink on it. Mm-hmm. And the moment you see all that red ink for the first time, you see somebody telling you this is terribly written. But at the same time, they're telling you this is a good story. Right. That, that's what it took. It took somebody, because a lot of times people either tell you it's a good story or they'll tell you this is terribly written. And it took it took a middle school English teacher to say, this is a really good story. It needs mm-hmm. to be better written because it's terribly written, but you're a good right. writer you're a good storyteller and cause I'm a terrible writer, but I, I love telling stories and I, I think that it, it's, it's important to tell people that, mm. you know, it, it's not, it's not any story can be good mm. as you know, as long as it's your story.
1: Well, and I think it's important to make any action, any feedback that you give actionable. So like yeah. just telling somebody it's a terrible, terribly written story that's not helpful because like what about it is terrible like what about it doesn't work because you can chase all kinds of things down and you know i feel like the last four years of my life have been like chasing down like one thing after another Mm -hmm. as people pointed them out to me and i'm like i really wish that somebody had just like gone through my first manuscript and been like this is filtering don't do that it got mm-hmm. creates distance this is head hopping you're you know showing something from another person's point of view that that person can't know yeah. like you just like detailed all of like those rookie mistakes that people make so that i could get those cleared out and focus on like like the other more artistic parts yep. of the mechanics of writing and it's a lot
0: of a lot of things that people don't realize are things that are problems Mm -hmm. because those they are problems and you can't always catch that stuff reading your own because Mm -hmm. you know everything and so you can't always catch when your characters don't know something or when they're not thinking correctly or you've rewritten the same like I'm really bad like I get a I get a line or two in my head that I really Mm -hmm. like And I write it and then I forget that I wrote it and I wrote it it in like three or four other places. And I mean, I'm, I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm an editor's like financial resource. Like I, I know that I need editors. Like I'm, I'm bad. And (laughs) and the, I think a lot of people don't, to me, if, if somebody is able to give you that, like mm-hmm. if somebody's able to say these are all the things that need to be fixed, if they're not if the more detailed the feedback, I feel like mm. is the more complimentary.
1: Yes. Because yes.
0: they're they're looking at it deep enough to see all the problems, but they can also see how valuable mm-hmm. the the overall work is that they're able to say these things. If you fix these things, it increases the value of this work.
1: Yeah. Well, and one of the other things that I would tell people is to make sure that they critique other people's work as much as they're getting their own. Mm -hmm. Because like, it is so much easier to see stuff in things that you did not write. Mm -hmm. Because like, you don't have that emotional attachment to it. Mm -hmm. You don't have the words already in your head like the way that you think that they should sound you're actually parsing the words instead of like remembering what you wrote yeah. and so like you know the best way to learn how to spot all that stuff is to critique other people's work and it takes a lot of time i sometimes i feel like i spend more time critiquing than i rewriting but like yeah. it stopped me a lot so <laughs> yeah so, um,
0: if I think this is probably my longest, um, it's kind of cool. This kind of just, these are, as I do these more and more, I'm learning how to make them more conversational instead of just, you know, yeah. cause I, it, I hear more about other people's stories and stuff. And I'm, yeah. I, I started this, um, as a, uh, actually as a, a form of therapy, um, and it actually grew into something that I hated initially um, because it was like a homework assignment, you know, can yeah. you be on the internet? Can you talk to strangers? And um, it turned out to be something because I'm talking to, you know, like-minded individuals. Like mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I keep looking for is I want to talk to like a dancer, like a classic ballerina dancer or something. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I want to know all the things like, I want to know, like, The the amount of criticism that probably goes into an art form like that has got to be insane. And I I really like I keep trying to reach out to, you know, I have a wish list of people that I reach out to periodically to see if they'll talk to me. But I actually end up enjoying just talking to just people who are doing art because it can be anybody. You know, you can go to the grocery store and there's there's somebody who is a musician Who's just mm. working, and they are trying to find room for it. And i I think it's a better conversation to say, you know, out of the five people that you follow on social media that are living off their art, there's hundreds and hundreds who are trying to make inroads in there. And mm-hmm. there's in an industries, industries, <sighs> publishers, and you know, there's industries that are missing out on people's voices because in the in the internet age they're closing off to protect themselves from risk Yeah, and it's one of the things that i i think i understand publishers you know staying in safe spaces where they they know their writers and they know their publishers and closing it off to protect themselves from risk but at the same time that they're losing the the potential discoveries that come along with that risk right um so, the, if you had to pick one moment of, it doesn't have to be, like, failure that ended something, more like one one moment that felt the worst, like, felt like the biggest failure you've ever had, mm. but ended up being a blessing, ended up being down the road in hindsight to be a much better situation than you thought
1: oh uh hands down getting laid off from my last main theater job um because i had had been thinking about going full-time freelance and was planning on doing at least one more season um as a a full-time employee to like save up money and stuff and, you know, build up more, um, freelance clientele. Uh, but I ended up getting laid off instead and it just pushed me to like, go ahead and go for full-time freelance. Um, and I mean, obviously that ended up like not working out in the long run, but it was one less year that I was, in a career that was killing me. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, you know, it's really hard to, like you said, it's really hard to let go of mm-hmm. something um, when you started doing it because you loved it. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to tell when you've gone from loving something to hating it. and still want to love it. Cause you still want to love it. You just, Mm -hmm. well, and I kept thinking like, if I can just get over this next hump, if I can Mm -hmm. just get around this next corner, if I can just get past this next roadblock, everything will be great. I'll, I'll, you know, it'll be what I wanted it to be. And I just like, it, it never got there. And, and it's really hard to let go of that kind of um, oh yeah it's something that you worked so hard for you know and put so much investment investment it, it, the an time investment. and energy and you know the choices that you make along the way in the things you know, that you sacrifice we we sacrifice
0: you... a lot for our art a lot of yes things. yeah so, made
1: like... a lot of sacrifices and and you know and and the thing about working in the arts is that um the pay is such shit that -hmm. it's really hard. Like you end up um, with a lot of sunk cost Mm -hmm. and not a lot of um, ability to uh, climb out of whatever hole you're in, you know? Um, So like you end up in a lot of debt and, um, and no way to pay off that debt because you're making jack shit.
0: Yeah, and and there, I mean, there's people who are published authors that mm. work regular full time jobs or have secondary jobs that they work because they, exactly, yeah, they can't they can't make a living, and that that's something that I've I've had to over the last couple of years have to plan for an you know is my success dependent on can I live off of this or is my success dependent on I did a thing and people are reading it because yeah. I might not be able to live off of it, but I can still do it and people care about it. So
1: at this point, I feel like it's going to, like, if I make any money off of it, it'll be a supplement to my retirement. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Pay off all
0: these things, and maybe yeah. I'll be able to work less so that I can do this more because I yeah. won't have as many bills. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so I'm. We're almost at an hour and a half, so I'm gonna go ahead and uh, do my little mm-hmm. outro thing, and then uh, I'll come back to you here in a minute. All right. Or two, okay. All right. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for all the things that I normally say. Thank you for it has been a a great conversation. Um, as I've said before, I I have an easier time with other writers um, than I do other artists because our brains kind of work the same. So um, as always, if you find anything of value here, um, you can grab uh, her QR code out of the top and. Go support her at all her places. Um, Find me at all my places. Um, If you're interested in having a conversation, um, all of my social media, you can just send me messages and I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, So, thanks for coming by. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, as usual, whatever it is that you do, Keep at it.